This is Jim the Keys, bartender. Coming to you from Key Largo, episode 357, The Money Shot. Yeah, uh, I guess last week when we saw, or was it a week ago, I've seen before, his old lady in Britain get, uh, old lady, I don't know, I don't know if they are now, but still, I, I realize the hypocrisy when calling someone old lady. Uh, what, the older woman who had the shot in England, and then the number two was William Shakespeare, the uh, gentleman. Yep, that's the name of the gentleman that got the second guy that got shot in the United Kingdom. And then in the United States, they they had a big one with New York. I don't know if it's the first shot in someone in the U.S., the first legal. Obviously, there were people that took the first vaccine shots that were on the trial, uh, trial people and stuff like that. Uh, but they were filming it. And normally, if you're purveyors of adult video, the money shot is the shot they make the money off. They, you know, the, the coitus or penis going in vagina or whatever part. And then the, the um, when the person climaxes and there's semen going everywhere and stuff, there's the whole thing. That's called the money shot. And they want to catch it. You know, that's a money shot. You know, the person wants to get it. He goes, ah, oh, you know. So that's what the shots are to me. I'm not saying it's the same. I know it's no um, comparison, meaning the efficacy of what the thing is going on. Eff efficacy. I'm able to, you know how I have a problem saying certain words? So certain words I don't have a problem with. Efficacy. That's the person. The effectiveness of a vaccine, and they say the vaccine of uh, Pfizer and Moderna or 95. And there was another one out there that was 70%. I'm like, what the hell? When you have 95% efficacy, effectiveness, why the hell would anybody consider 70%? Like, oh, there's a 30% chance you, here we're going to get a shot. Uh, there's a 30% chance it won't work, or also you may grow another eye on your toe. So, oh, well, I'll stick with the other ones. Then. Like they would say, well, it's cheaper, and you don't have to refrigerate as much. Oh, fuck, give me the 70% one then. You don't have to refrigerate it. You know, it's like that irradiated milk you don't have to, um, you don't have to refrigerate. Right? What's the big deal? You don't have to refrigerate this milk. Look at this. This is milk on the counter. That was a big thing about, what was that, about 15, 20 years ago? People start saying, how can you have milk that's not, doesn't spoil, that you don't have to put it in cold, and it lasts for months. And people say, well, it's irradiated to kill all the bacteria in it. Irradiated. And some people you tell us irradiated or gen genetically modified, they run away from it. And then there's other people, there's X-Man fans, you think, well, the more radiation and genetic material I get into, the more likely I am to become a superhero, have spider-like skills, or I can get wolf uh, claws growing out of my hands, or summon the wind. You know, I, I, I don't know where I get off like that part, but um, there's people that, there was that big movement, which had a lot of merit with having Gen genetically modified organisms, seeds, 
if plants were modified, certain animals were modified, and the keys there, uh, I don't know if they released them already, but they were going to release genetically modified mosquitoes, so they make them sterile, and so when either the mosquitoes, when they produce eggs, are either don't produce eggs, or they produce eggs that are sterile, meaning they're not fertilized, nothing happens to them, and it's a way to restrict that. Now, it's funny, people don't want, I agree with the, I have a problem with genetic modification of organisms, but for the unintended consequence, the severe unintended, unintended uh, consequences. Now, there, people when see topically when people hear genetically modified mosquitoes, they think, well, they'll spread more disease. They'll go and do this. They'll bite us, and they're going to put us with their genetic. It's modified. It's not like poisonous. And why? What happens is mosquitoes are part of the food chain, and there's animals, there's dragonflies, there's birds, there's reptiles that eat mosquitoes as part of their diet. So it it could be similar to getting rid of krill. The krill is tiny, almost microscopic organisms that um, certain whales feed on. So you get rid of that, and you you lose a whole link in the food chain. So that could be there could be unforeseen consequences for that, but they weigh it. I guess they're weighing with people not getting the mosquito-borne illnesses. The funny thing I found out uh, a couple years ago was there's a whole slew of different varieties of mosquitoes. And there's only a couple mosquitoes out there, uh, one being the Aedes aegypti, that are attracted to humans. And they're the ones they're most concerned about. I mean, there's, you know, they worry about bird flu, swine flu, bovine flu, and all those things that when certain flus uh, or, or illnesses make their jump from animal to humans that they're concerned about. But the one that is mosquito-borne is the most prevalent because it's a great delivery system. You think it goes right into your bloodstream. That's why they're concerned. There's probably tons of them. There's probably tons of them. You get all paranoid and stuff like that. That there's a bird flu. There's probably infections in birds and swine and cattle that you don't know of. That just because it is not as communicable, communicable. Oh, see, once again, I can say efficacy, but I can't say communicable. Uh, from uh, you know, having the thing where the, the uh, mosquitoes are, you know, already going into your system, you're dropping that that needle in, um, introducing anticoagulant that helps them take up some of their blood, and that's where exchange occurs, and that's a really effective way of spreading a virus. So it's not that their viruses are. Mosquitoes are much worse. It's easier to transport. 
people just don't talk about it that much. Why would you worry about it? Uh, so it's, it's like rabies, bats. How many times do you get bit by a rat or a bat or a raccoon? Not that often. But over the course of a summer, if you're an outdoorsy person, you're going to get a bunch of mosquito intrusions. There'll be tons of them, hundreds of them. Some of them you don't even realize. So that's the thing. So there's why you worry about the deer tick and things like that. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, I didn't mean to reduce the solemnness or effectiveness of having the vaccine televised. I realized that the African-American community and the first uh, uh, person they uh, showed getting uh, a vaccine was uh, two healthcare workers who were both African-American and was administered by an African-American doctor. And considering the track record of what they did to the African, and the big one standing out, the Tuskegee experiment, I think it was Tuskegee. I guess I should be very certain. But they they followed a group of African-American men with untreated syphilis to see what would happen if you were allowed to just follow it closely and see what they did. I mean, it was horrible. And they were, weren't told that they were in a control group. I mean, I don't even know if they had... A control group is someone that doesn't receive anything. And... I mean, it's obviously when you're, I mean, the, to be infected and to not have it treated, like with these viruses, uh, there's, I mean, imagine these vaccines, they're just giving them and saying, like, how many people, what are the rate of transmission in these people in this certain population? And they can say, well, normally, the uh, at this time, it's 10%, but among um, Along the group that's been given the vaccine, they they've been managing under point point oh two percent, and whatever they render that as a percentage of effectiveness efficacy ninety five percent, meaning it's uh, only a a five percent chance that it won't be effective one in twenty, which they're assuming that a hundred percent. Now this is where I'm way over my head and I gotta watch it. I should have just stuck with their money shot. About the porn thing. And I didn't want to once again cheapen that. I just think it's a huge achievement and I know that they have right now they're talking about the end of January having over a hundred million dollar hundred million doses and that would be fifty million people over the course of time and in February maybe another hundred million be two hundred two thirds of the population maybe close to being inoculated if they accept it by the beginning of spring. Meaning by summertime we could be looking at a much recovered system. And just think of this. Because of the amount of compromise between the people and the way they um, shared information the next time an epidemic comes around we've been through a dry run we know what works and what doesn't work we'll be able to look at the um, effectiveness of certain strategies and there will be effectiveness and you'll see other countries 
close to the source. When I say close to the source, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Korea, even countries, you know, and the, how they were able to handle it, what methods they used. So we'll do that. And we'll also have the ability of pharmaceutical companies develop quickly a vaccine to be able to collaborate. Collaboration is very important when it comes to things like that. Because when a pharmaceutical company comes with a new drug to the market, they don't collaborate. I mean, why would they collaborate? Because if they wouldn't be able to sell it, they collaborate, they'd give up their, their patent. And, and then they wouldn't have the right to sell it at whatever crazy price. I mean, we've seen the pharma dude the one that jacked up the prices, so you don't have to, uh, for certain uh, patented uh, treatments. But the collaboration for it, when it comes to pandemics and stuff like that, pharmaceutical companies should collaborate in their research and things like that. And I think the more we do it, the more we become better at doing it. And they know, well, this was effective, this wasn't because they never did this one thing. And the distribution, being able to distribute, they're doing a practice on how to distribute it. And being able to figure out such problem as, they call it the moonshot, because uh, at one point, Kennedy, when he was inaugurated, John F. Kennedy, in 1961, he announced the objective to send a man from the Earth to the moon and return it back. And at that time, they just started sending guys up into space. They didn't even, you know, just recently it was the end of the Eisenhower administration when they were getting ready to send guys up there. They weren't getting close to going a quarter million miles, landing on another celestial body, walk around, and then launching off and coming back to Earth alive. And that was considered, they were going to announce this goal, and then we're going to do it. Just like Roosevelt did that with, we're going to build, we're going to be the arsenal for democracy. We're going to make all the tanks and planes and ships that we need to defeat the Axis powers. Same thing happened with the pandemic. Except we had pharmaceutical companies decide they have to do it and say, listen, we'll have streamlined uh, the process. And much like the moonshot and World War II, there were failures and successes. Meaning there was uh, Apollo, uh, there were, I think it was the Mercury astronauts where they had to fire in a capsule. Uh, Gus Grissom and two fellow astronauts, they just were burned alive. It's a horrible, horrible thing. But that was part of the process of getting men to the moon. Not burning them alive, but they learned something. They learned something about how dangerous an oxygen-rich environment would be. So now, doing developing, normally they, they thought that the, the vaccine would take a couple of years, the way they normally do. But there was an impetus behind it because now the people had died, and they were willing to take more risk. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry is risk-adverse. That's the reason why they use animal testing and prisoner testing and things like that. You have to sign a disclaimer when you take something. But just like with cancer and stuff like that, when there's a new treating you, you're, you know, you're told that you're probably going to die. Uh, 
people who are told they might die say, listen, I don't care. Just uh, I'll take a dangerous I'll take a dangerous treatment. I'll go on a trial. Are there any trials we can take? You know, why not? You know, this isn't necessary. And, you know, some companies say, well, this may not, you're not really a good candidate for it. Well, fuck that. You know, if you're going to die, it doesn't really matter. I don't care if I'm a good candidate. Just give me a, give me a shot at it. You can, I'll sign all the disclaimers you want. Um, the vaccine, I, I can understand how healthcare workers say, listen, I just want to do it. I want to be able to get it. I want to be able to be unable to transmit it to my family, my friends, my co-workers. And it would be much easier for them once they get these guys in about a month and a half when these healthcare workers are back up and stuff like that. They don't have to go home and quarantine, stay in trailers outside in their driveways. I saw that on one show where uh, uh, a doctor just, he comes home um, showers. I don't even know if he showers in a house, showers in a, in a, uh, a, tr- a trailer in the, in the driveway. He lives there while he's all it's crazy. But that's a sacrifice. You know, and, it, and they're willing to do that. So we should be willing to um, follow whatever precautions when we find out what really happened. Um, when we find out what re- really happened with what treatments and precautions worked. When I say worked, there's nothing 100% effective, but anything, anytime it reduces the ability and effectively reduces the ability for the virus to transmit itself, it is effective. So we're done talking about that because he liked it. That's how he equated a money shot for the cum shot. And that's what I did. So as I said, it is the middle of Christmas now. We are there. I, I go to the store. Uh, they had the prime rib out. I had to go and get prime rib because that's what I cook on Christmas. And they had the sale now, not on a week up, which was really smart because they're reducing. They put things on sale. It's like they're strategic. They put the things on sale a week and a half before Christmas. So the week of, you're not running in to get it. So you say, well, we can't get this shit out of here before because they're going to be, you know, everyone's going to be. But when it gets closer to it, people will pay twice as much for it. So, uh, there I had, uh, we were running. The nice thing about, uh, at least what we did this year, is we had, for instance, four rolls of mismatch, uh, toilet, not toilet paper, gift wrapping paper, Christmas paper old paper just sitting around. It was just getting more and more and more and more. You had like a quarter roll of this, a half a roll of that, this, that shit. Oh, man. And we used everything up. We had one roll left over. We had almost all our tape used up. So I had to go and buy. What I did is uh, end up nice ro- uh, rolling paper. I get toilet paper or rolling paper? What's going on in my head? Shit and pot. I don't know. Christmas wrapping paper. It was one roll, get one free. Buy one roll, get one free. I buy two rolls of that. I am set for the rest because I got almost all my stuff wrapped. Got a couple more gifts coming in. Got some tchotchkes. I even went shopping for the dog. I didn't think about what the dog would like. My dog's only eight pounds. Tiny little dog. So I want to get a new squeak toy. For some reason, down here, a third of the squeak toys were animals especially dogs, 
are lobsters, right? How often do you see a dog and a lobster interacting? I don't get it. But they have squeak toys. I got another. We got one of the squeak toys, her favorite squeak toys for my dog is a, is a small lobster. And they have another one, and it, it has rope on it so you can pull it away, you know, because the dog wants to pull back. I don't know what the deal is with that. She wants to get in a little battle with that um, tug of war with it. But I did never, it's, it's like setting up a confrontation between a dog and a lobster that just doesn't exist unless it's an aquatic dog, one of those dogs in a cartoon that swims all the time, right? Well, you use other dogs. But rarely do you ever see dogs interacting with lobster. And, ma and rarely have I seen a dog food that incorporate a lobster. So it's just not one of those things. I can see a dog going up to it, you know, anything with an exoskeleton. Exo dogs like their meat on the outside of the bone. They don't like their bone on the outside and the meat on the inside. That they're just not into that. You're not going to see one with little, little, little fork trying to get their meat out and stuff like that. It's got to gobble down that hard ass shell. So why not? You know, they don't do the uh, cat. That would probably be the most appropriate for a dog, the little cat thing. But that would be kind of teaching a dog to chew on a cat. And don't get me wrong, I like cats. But, uh, yeah, that'd probably be the wrong thing to have. Or a baby, little baby toy, you know, the ba a picture of a human baby. That'd be the wrong message, too, for a dog. Don't want to do a bird. You know, on second thought, once I said it, dogs don't interact with lobsters, meaning you're not, you know, you're not teaching your dog to go, I mean, unless you have your dog on a dock a lobsterman coming in and he's putting the, laying the lobsters out on the dock the dog's not going to be acclimated to go after anything that's going to be around your house unless you have lobsters around your house which um, I don't know if you should you know one of these days people say lobsters you know lobsters make great house pets they do that with skunks I remember skunks people say oh yeah I have a skunk years ago years ago and they say oh yeah you, what you do is you take the scent gland out of it they're awesome pets, and they're very smart. And it's, it turned out the guy showed me pictures of the, the skunk. Then once you get the sun, scent gland out, stuff like that, they're just really friendly and stuff like that. And they live about, I think they live about six, seven years. Not as much as a dog, though. That's a shame, too. If you got a real smart pet, you know, really smart, that's the reason why you got African greys and stuff like that. And they live a little, long, little too long, too. You know, when you got to go and look at an animal, an African gray or a cockatiel, whatever they're called, um, and you teach them the curse or whatever fuck you do with it, you got to remember, you know, you're some perverted old man sailed this shit, and you got an African gray. You got when it was like five, six years old, and you got it when you were 60, and you said all this horrible shit. Your grandchild's going to be taking care of that bird. And they're going to say, grandfather was a pervert for all the shit they're saying. You know, when you say, oh, I like that ass. I'm like, mm, I like that. I want to bite that ass. Shit like that. You hear that from the African grain. They'll just know. They'll just know grandpa was, had, a, had an ass fetish. 
or a foot fetish. You never know. Or he used to like dressing up like Marilyn Monroe. And the cockatiel or African Grey will start singing happy birthday, Mr. President. Like Marilyn Monroe did. You never know. I think of these things. That's my job as a podcaster and a bartender. So I always get people that come up and they show me pictures of their animals. And I, I li- sometimes I like to pretend like I don't care about an animal. I pretend, but, you know, I fucking care. I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. If you show, I, I don't want to see, um, no one's going to say, hey, look at me. I'm chaining my dog out. I'm, this is me. I have a house up in Minnesota, and this is cold as balls, and I chained my dog outside for hours on end. I don't want to see that shit. I want to see your dog curled up next to the fire. Not, you know, on fire, but next to the fire. So, you know, I may not be enthusiastic enthusiastic to look at your dog, but I'll be there to pet your dog. I love dogs. I love cats too, but cats, you know, cats you never know. Dogs you know too. They'll let you know when you get closer and you see the grrr, you know, one of those. But cats, you go up to a cat, it can come bite you, scratch you without, they just look at you like, what the fuck are you doing? You're kidding me? You're going to put your hand near me? You know I'm going to bite it. We have cats outside our restaurant all the time. They just hang around, look inside the window. doing th- Every time I come out, it runs away. And when I feed it, they come running to me. But when I'm not feeding it, they act like, oh, well, don't even fucking come near me. That's what a cat's like. Most dogs are something like that. They're all over you. They're nice dogs. They, and they, I don't care what people say. Dogs sense it. Dogs can sense when you have a dog and they can tell if your dog's aggressive or not aggressive. You can tell how, how you know, they're just, when, when a dog's friendly and it hasn't been abused and stuff like that, they're going to be the friendliest thing ever in the fucking world coming up to you. So, this past week since we're on the thing of uh, animals, I'm driving up the side of the road and I saw there's turkey buzzards all over the place. And they're heading south because of the cold snap. And the other day, I, I might post on the Keys Bartender thing. There was a hundred. There was a hundred turkey vultures that they circle around and head south and just take their time and work their way down the Keys. I don't know if they go all the way over to uh, Mexico or not, but they're working their way south. And uh, I saw them. And always, anytime I see a big bird, it's either one of these tropical birds with the long beak comes down or Huron. But this one was a um, some type of hawk or falcon. And it was alongside a road. And it was a fledgling. It was it was a decent size. Probably 14 inches. You know, maybe. Yeah. 14 inches of stand. Big so on side of road, just standing there. And it had its one foot up. I'm thinking, oh my God, I hope it wasn't hope it's not missing a foot. I don't know how they miss I mean, they get caught up. Maybe they get caught up in fishing line or something like that, and then they they chew it off or, or not. But this one was resting, and uh, I guess I guess a hawk is pretty good. That's got to make it really hard to land when you got the one just the one claw. But I just seen it stand there, and it, in the back of my head, I go, "Well, I hope it. What am I going to do? What the fuck am I going to do?" If I wanted to go over and say, well, oh, this bird looks hard, should I help it? But it's a freaking hawk. Take your eyeball out. 
you know, a four or five pound bird. It's not like these uh, fucking blue jays. And yes, the fucking blue jays. I love the blue jays. We feed them all the time. But at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, when every sun starts coming up, they know exactly where our window is. And when it's beautiful outside, we have the windows open. And you start, they scream. And they do this ungodly scream. They do it all the time. And they laugh. And they do all this other shit. And they're just doing it to say, hey, make sure my fucking peanuts are out on the ledge. Because you know I like to eat in the morning. So we grab them and we move them and put them in the ground. It's not that we're hungry. We're just storing them. There's not going to be a winter down here, Mr. Blue Jay. You're always going to get peanuts. And then they don't don't get them here. They go someplace else. So I don't know why fucking pigs are hungry. I'm sorry it's so fucking boring. But we're... uh, we are in the midst of the Christmas season. We got the Christmas parties coming up. We had the light up uh, Key Largo uh, bike ride. And that's uh, an operation by someone called Cindy Claus. And the people decorate their bikes. And they drive around the neighborhood. They actually went across Route 1. They had a police escort. And we made comments. And, you know, a lot of kids. That obviously, if it's a light up bike ride, there's kids involved. And we were commenting after the fact, that whenever they have to, you know, pause, they have to stop traffic for a couple minutes to get people across the road. You know, like two, three minutes, because they have like 7,500 bikes. Fucking people cannot wait. So when a cop pulls over and stuff like that, people start trying to go around them. But he's blocking the road. You know, when a cop car, a police officer, a sheriff's department car pulls across the lanes of highway, they're telling you to stop. And we notice that down here. Just people just fucking hurry. You know, I don't care how nice the upholstery is in your car and how much you don't want to pee on it. But you're going to have to plan your bladder control issues on something other than running over a bicyclist or someone who's crossing the road when the uh, police try to stop you. Because you're in that much of a hurry. And that's the only thing I can think about. Well, and the other, I guess you can, because you have diarrhea, too. So if you're down here, and like any place else, you know, when you're behind a bus and there's a stop sign, you stop for the stop sign and let the kids out. Simple. Same thing with a bike. You do that. No, everyone's in a fucking hurry. It's the holidays. Take your time. They did our... Uh, boat parade this past weekend, so supposedly it was beautiful. I didn't even know they were going to do it this year. About six years back, they had about four or five boats in it. Now they end up having that big boat parade again. So I guess people didn't have shit to do. They might as well do a boat parade, right? It's social distancing. You're on one boat, there's another boat driving around it. Makes sense. Uh, not as many Christmas parties. The hospital Christmas parties in this year. The restaurant is not having one this year. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of people that are going to have their own Christmas parties. They're going to try to. But uh, it's only this year. And if we do everything right for the rest of the year, it'll make it so much better for us. And 2021, we'll be able to rejoice that we're all together again. I'd like to thank you again for listening um, to the podcast. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Try to drop a review for us if you can. 
if you like us, I know I said that, on iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify, our iHeartRadio, every time you do something like that, it raises our visibility. I was seeing some of the critiques there. I made it to number 30 in comedy in Japan. It's funny. Uh, I'm in the top 100 in my category in the United States. I drop in around that stuff, right? Which is huge. It's still top 100 is huge with my small audience, stuff like that. Uh, if I get shared enough, though, it just pops up. And then if I end up in the top 50 or anything like that, then it's just going to be a different thing. I'll have a producer, and I'll be able to take the phone calls if you want to call in. And remember, if you want, wanted to have a question or anything, like no one sent a question so far. It's Jim, J-I-M, at keysbartender.com. Send me an email with any of your questions. Um, if you have any music you'd like to send me, I'll be happy to play it on air. That'd be a good thing. If you have any music, any musicians that sit, uh, listen to us, you want to send us uh, some tracks, have a license for it. Don't send me a cover so I get in trouble. Send me something original, and I'll play it. I promise I won't use any of your theme music, um, unless you want me to. You give it to me if it's good. You know, I don't care if it's dirty either, because uh, I have explicit content. So it really doesn't matter. I can do anything. You can sing about dildos. Remember our buddy Luke uh, Glenn, who used to say, sing uh, I Love Pussy. Uh, that's a song of his. And he sang it on International Woman's Day, which I thought was uh, special. Uh, not really, but it was weird. Okay, well, thank you again. Uh, I'll be back uh, probably at least one more episode this week. Until then, take care, God bless, and I'll talk to you later.